You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it's good to see you this morning. Mark chapter 10 is where we are. So if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10, that would be great. It would really help you to have one out and kind of open where you can get to it. And so if you need a Bible underneath every three or four seats, you should find one. So uh, just to encourage you to make sure you have one out and open on your lap. And while you're turning to Mark 10, uh, let me make a quick plug for the men's retreat that is coming up this weekend. So let me talk to the guys just for a second. Um, so Friday night, uh, we're going to be out at Camp Hobbitsell, just right down the road. And uh, we're going to come back after Friday night, spend the night in your own bed, come back out Saturday morning, and, uh, and spend a few more hours then. And so to the guys in the room, I can't think of a better place for the benefit of your soul for you to be this weekend than out there. And so what J.R. Vassar, a friend of ours, is going to be coming in, and uh, he is finishing a book called Glory Hunger, where he is talking about this hardwired desire that God has put into the soul of human beings, uh, in particular men, for glory and greatness, and God's pathway for that desire put in us by God to come out. And so I think that the content is just going to be unbelievably good. I I just think it's going to be great for every guy that's there. And so in light of that, um, to the men in the room, I just want to make an appeal to you to make sure you're there. Uh, you can sign up. There's, we've got a table up at the, in the foyer here. You can sign up this morning. You can go home this afternoon, uh, get on the city in the Stonegate Church group. It'll be up at the top of that page. Click on that. The registration link is there. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you're a part of that for all of the guys in the room and for the ladies in the room. Um, now, there's, there's other times where I say this to guys, but since we're doing a, a men's retreat this weekend, this is to the ladies. I want to ask you to try to do everything you can to clear out Friday night and Saturday kind of morning into, into the afternoon for your uh, husband to be able to make it. And listen, we're in on this thing together for your husband, right, ladies? Like we all want your husband to be the sort of man that God has called uh, him to be. Now, I'm not saying that a men's retreat is a silver bullet for that. Let's just be clear. It's not. But I am saying that I think it's, a, it's an atmosphere and, a, and a, an event that will help in that. And so anything you can do to make that possible for him and to encourage him in that, um, we would love to see him and we're working with you you know, in all that. And lastly, if you've got friends or neighbors that are just kind of on the edge with God, I think it would be a wonderful thing to invite them to. I think it could be a thing that uh, would be used in their life for really good things um, if you'll invite them. And so if you've got some friends, coworkers, neighbors that kind of fit into that category, um, I think it would be a really good opportunity to offer an invitation. So with that said, let me preface um, Mark 10 with a, a couple of things here. I want to spend about two or three minutes trying to convince you of how important prayer is to the Christian life. How important it is. So let me start with this statement. As important as breathing is to your physical body. Let me say it again. As important as breathing, like you breathing air into your lungs and exhaling that that air. As important as breathing is to your physical body, so is, is prayer to your spiritual life. As important as breathing is to your physical life, so is prayer to your spiritual life. It's that important. Breathing important. Like if, if you don't breathe for just a few minutes in this room, we've got big problems, don't we? I mean, things go bad really quickly. As, in, as important as breathing is to your physical body, like a, a few minutes without it and you're in deep trouble, so is prayer to your spiritual life. 
It's that important. Prayer is the way that we commune with God. It's the way we get to know God. It's the way that we consistently reorient our hearts to the fact that God is a father to us. Prayer is how all of that stuff happens. I love how John Calvin put it. He said, in prayer, we climb up to our father's lap and whisper in his ear. That's what prayer is. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're reorienting our heart to the fact and the reality that God has pledged himself to be a father to us. This is, this is prayer. This is what we're doing in prayer. And let me just take a minute to try to convince you that it is vitally important that you are not only able to talk about God, but that you're actually able to talk to God in prayer. Let me try to press this down by giving you an illustration. Because you live in 21st century America, chances are you are going to die in a hospital. There's a really good chance of that for you, that this is how you're going to go. And I want you just to think forward to this moment in your life. And and here's going to be the truth of this moment. That there's going to be a time in the middle of all of that where you are going to wake up in the middle of the night and you are going to have a deafening silence in the room that you're in as you realize you are about to die. And in that moment, your favorite pastor isn't going to be in the room. Your, your favorite author isn't going to be there. The podcast that you love isn't going to be there. Your friends aren't going to be there. Your spouse isn't going to be there. It's going to be you there. And in that moment, the last thing you want is to be depending on a God that your pastor knows, that your spouse knows, that your friends know. That's the last thing that you want in that moment. What you want in that moment is to be depending upon the God that you know, that you know. And what I'm trying to say to start this thing out this morning is that the only way to know that God is through prayer. So you can read your Bible all day long, but that does not mean you're going to know God. That means you're going to know a lot about God. But if you want to know God, you've got to spend time with God and talk to God. You've got to do those things. And, you know, it's interesting. Over the last, you know, if I would have preached something like this three or four years ago, I would have said something very similar. But I feel like one of God's graces to me over the last year has been to give me a realizing sense of this. Of how important it is for you and I to actually know God, not just about God. For us actually to know him, to commune with him, to be in like relationship where we're talking to God. Man, deep down in my bones, I'm starting to feel more and more of just how important this is. And what I'm trying to do this morning is to convince you of that. That it's as important, think about you breathing physically. It's that important to your spiritual life that you pray, that you're a praying person. So in light of that, let's read this passage, Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 46 says this. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
And they called uh, the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So I'm going to allow this passage to answer three questions about prayer. The first one is what is prayer? The second one is what does prayer look like? And the third one is what makes prayer possible? What is prayer? What does it look like? And what makes it possible? So we'll start with question one. What is prayer? Now, in January, we try to, to throw out to all of our families, and, and, you know, that make up our church family, um, to make sure you jump into the New City Catechism. A catechism is simply questions and answers that lay the foundation for you to understand the big truths of the Bible, of God, of the gospel. So it's just questions and answers that deal with that. What is God? Questions like that. Um, you know, it's God three persons. Questions like that. that just are building the foundation for you to know about God, gospel, these sorts of things. So if you haven't jumped onto that, let me just make a quick plug and say this would be a wonderful time to do that. Um, this morning when you pick up your kids, if they're in one of our ministries, they're going to be getting a little card that has the question that they worked on this morning. And so um, if you haven't done that, it would even be great for husbands and wives that have kids out of the home. It would be a wonderful discipleship tool. So each question has an adult and a kid answer, and the kid answer is embedded into the adult answer. So question 38 of the New City Catechism asks this, what is prayer? What is prayer? And here's the answer, the kid answer to the question, what is prayer? Answers it like this, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. This is what prayer is, pouring out our hearts to God. Now, there's more you could say about prayer, but there is not less than you can say about it. Prayer is pouring out our heart to God. Now, contrast that with what so often passes as prayer. See, prayer is not like parading your theological nuance and vocabulary so everyone else can be impressed. Prayer is not like, let me find the the most poetic way to say this thing to impress everyone. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is not having to rhyme every word so that like the jaws of everyone around you just drop to the floor. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is getting before God and pouring out your heart to God. That is prayer. See, in this way, prayer is really gritty, really gritty. It's you taking all the stuff that's swirling around in you and it's pouring all of that stuff out so God can see it all. It's taking all of your sin, pouring it out. It's taking all of like how insane we get in life, pouring all that out to God. It's taking the things that we're crying about, pouring those out to God. Taking the things that we're celebrating, pouring that out to God. And everything in between, pouring all of that out to God, that is what prayer is. Okay, now, this is what's interesting. When you read this passage in Mark 10, it's not overtly clear that this passage is about prayer. Like, you don't see the word prayer mentioned in this passage. You know, it's not overt. But when you start to see prayer like this, prayers pouring out your heart to God, you start to see prayer pop up and emerge from this passage. Maybe you could think of this passage like this. This passage is prayer in story form. It's giving us a visible illustration of what it looks like to pour your heart out to God. This is what Bartimaeus is doing in this passage. His heart just got turned inside out and it is before Jesus in these few verses. So this is the what is, 
you know, what is prayer question? Prayer is pouring out your heart to God and this passage puts that in story form. So now question two, what does prayer look like? And we're gonna spend most of our time here. What does prayer look like? So what are some of the marks of prayer that we see in this passage? Let me give you four of these. Four marks that we see when a person is pouring their heart out to God, four things that we see about prayer. Here's the first one. Prayer is passionate. It's passionate. So look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to, and I want you to maybe underline these words, circle these words in your Bible. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So just notice those words again, the words cry out. This was not like a calm request. What Bartimaeus did in this passage is he lost sight of all social etiquette. He lost sight of where he should be, what he should be doing, how he should be speaking. He lost sight of all of that. And the inside of him got turned out to Jesus in passionate prayer where he loses sight of all sort of social norms and he just starts crying out to God. He just starts crying out to Jesus. This is what I need. This is where I am. This is the sort of prayer that we see in him. It's passionate praying. Now just take a second to ask yourself the question. Would anyone describe your prayer life or the way that you pray as crying? Like if somebody were writing kind of the description, so they're watching this scenario happen with you, your prayer, would anybody say, you know what, they are crying out to God in the way that they're praying? It's amazing how that is missing from so much of our prayers, isn't it? So now I want you to make sure you're seeing the link as to why it is that this sort of passionate crying out to God would be missing in the way that we communicate with God. See, passion in prayer is always linked to these two things, desperation and dependence. It's always linked to that. If you're not crying out to God, it's because you don't feel desperate and you don't feel dependent upon God. It's always linked to desperation and dependence. So I, I want you to do something for me here. Will you please take a minute to cl- or a second here to close your eyes? I'll keep mine open to make sure nobody like comes up behind you and gets you. So you, you close your eyes there where you are. Now I want you to imagine something. With your eyes closed. Don't open your eyes, but I want you to imagine that you opened your eyes right now and that it was pitch black. That like your eyes are open right now, but you can't see anything. And and this is the first time it's ever happened to you. And so in your mind, you're thinking, well, I'm just going to like close my eyes again and reopen them and everything's going to be okay. So you close your eyes again and you reopen them and you realize you still can't see anything. You can't see the person beside you, behind you, in front of you. You can't see the the, the chair that you're sitting on. You can't see anything. It is pitch black in your world. And just think for a minute about the ramifications of that. You not being able to see likely means that you just lost your job. And when you lose your job, now you lose your paycheck. And now that you lost your paycheck, now you lose your home. And the downward spiral just continues from there. Just imagine that. Just put yourself in this story for a moment and feel what it would feel like to be blind. 
Okay, now open your eyes. Now that would give you just a sampling of what Bartimaeus is feeling in this passage. The sort of desperation. From the deepest parts of his soul, he is saying this, I want to see. So he's desperate, but he's also dependent. He knows that there is nothing he can do to fix this. He can't go to a doctor and the doctor fix it. He's got no sort of avenue to make this right, to fix this problem. So he is both desperate on one side. I want to see, and he's dependent. I can't do anything to make myself see. Now, when you mingle desperation and dependence together, you get to this point of passion, of crying out. So now picture the story here. He's desperate and he's dependent. And all of a sudden, he hears someone say, Jesus of Nazareth is about to pass by. And he has heard that this Jesus of Nazareth is, the, is a person that, that touches and heals lepers. That this Jesus of Nazareth is a person that resurrects little boys and little girls from the dead. He's also heard that this Jesus of Nazareth has made blind men see. So now you mingle desperation, you mingle dependence, and you mingle the hope that is in Jesus. And do you know what happens when you mingle those three things together? That spills out into passionate crying out to God. It it spills out into that. You can't help but to be passionate in the way you pray when those things are all mingled together. So let's just stop and ask the question here. Would passion characterize, crying out to God, characterize the way that you pray to God? And if not, I want to make sure that you see that is linked to in your heart not feeling one of a couple of things. It's either you not feeling the desperation and the dependence that is your life. It's maybe it's you living in the illusion that you're really self-sufficient, that you've really got what you need to make life work. And that's an illusion, by the way. But it could be that, or it could be that you really do feel your dependence and desperation, but you have lost hope in Jesus. I mean, I just want to take a moment to encourage, regardless of where we are on that little continuum, for this passage to encourage us. If if we're not feeling the sort of desperation and, and dependence that we need to be feeling, for right now, for you to start praying for the Spirit of God to produce that in you. Or if you're on this side and you're just not feeling the hope that is to be found in Jesus. I mean, for for you right now to start praying that the Spirit of God would help you in that. And when you mingle those things together then, you start to get this crying out passionately to God in the way that we pray. So the first mark of prayer is, is it's passionate. Here's the second mark. It's personal. Look at verse 47 again. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And look at these last couple of words. On me, on me. I love this. What we see in Bartimaeus here is that there is no pretense in the way that he is praying. No pretense. There is no, Bartimaeus is not coming to Jesus like this. He's not coming to Jesus saying, let me make sure everything looks okay and looks good and then I'll go to Jesus. That is not what he's doing. Bartimaeus is looking at Jesus and he's saying this, here is the mess of my life. Here is life in a fallen world. Here is me, sin. Here is the whole picture of me and this is what I need from you right now, Jesus. No pretense. 
No pretending. It is the real Bartimaeus meeting the real Jesus. That's what praying is intended to do. The real you meets the real God. But can we just be honest here? Do you know how seldom that actually happens? How seldom that happens. That our coming to God so often comes like this. Here's the problem in my life. Let me figure out how to tie bows on this, kind of get a handle on this problem, and then I'll go to God with it. And that is not what Jesus is after for in the way that we pray. He wants us coming in the midst of the mess of our life, coming to Jesus in the midst of that, coming to God in the midst of that. Psalms 109 has been the single biggest biblical thing that God has done in my life over the last year. Reading through Psalms 109 has been like the capstone on what I would say God has been teaching me over the last year. So I want to read it to you, and uh, this is going to be a little bit shocking in what you're going to read here. So let me warn you of that. But here's Psalms 109. Starts like this, verse one. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. By the way, this should be on the screen there for you if you need it. Verse three, they encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. Verse five, so they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Okay, so you see the picture? David has got people in his life that are not good people. And these not good people are doing not good things to him. Okay, this is, this is the, the picture here. And then watch what uh, David starts to pray for them in uh, verse six. Check this out, verse six. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Verse 10. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any pity uh, his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of of his father be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now I read that and here's what I'm thinking. Can you seriously pray that? How do you do do that? How do you pray that? Are you serious? And to make matters worse, this is David. I mean, this is the guy that they say in the Bible is like a man after God's own heart. This is that guy praying that that these guys are like being mean to him here. Their wives are going to be widows. Their their kids are going to run the streets naked, begging bread. This is what he's praying. How can you, how is that possible? How did he not just get struck dead right there on the spot? Okay, let me tell you what I think is happening in Psalms 109. In Psalms 109, the real David is meeting the real God. This is what's happening. 
And you know the reason why God calls David a man after his own heart? is because all throughout David's life, good, bad, and the ugly, it is the real David consistently meeting the real God. And that is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. The real us. See, here's what Psalms 109 is. It is pre-processed prayer. It is, it's David praying before he has tied all the little things about how he should be feeling, the little theological bows on it that he should be saying. It's him praying before all of that. It's him saying, in this moment right now, this is how I feel. This is the grit of my heart and my life. This is me right now and God, I need help. It's that sort of real David meeting the real God. And this is what prayer is meant to be for you and meant to be for me. This is how we actually get to know God. It's when we don't put all the bows on it. We don't put all the theological words on it. We come to God in the mess of our life and get to know God there. That's prayer. Pre-processed, unfiltered. So let's just take a minute to stop and apply this. Would you describe your prayer life like that? See, there is a difference between saying prayers and honest praying. Let me say that again. There is a huge difference between saying prayers to God and honestly praying before God. And God does not care about our saying prayers. That is not what God is after. God is after our honest praying about the real you meeting the real God. Like you, unfiltered, raw. This is how I feel right now. This is what I want to do right now. God help that you right there. It's like God wants your guts, like the guts of your soul to be poured out to him in honest praying. Not the guts of your soul stuffed into a box with a nice little bow around it and then you take it to God. He wants honest praying from you. Blind Bartimaeus, God, have mercy on me right now in my life and all the mess of it. David, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. God, help. That's what God's after in our prayers. So does that describe your prayer life? Is it, maybe you can say it this way. Are you having Psalms 109 moments where you are humbly coming before God in the mess of your life, pre-processed, pre, this is how I should be thinking about it. No, you come to God before you figure all that out. Are you coming to God like that? Psalms 109, like. If, if I could like describe the one major change in the way that I'm praying now, as opposed to the last, maybe a year ago, it's this. I'm having more of these sort of moments. And can I just tell you what the fruit of that is? When you're coming to God, Psalms 109, like, pre-processed prayer, here's the fruit of that. You actually get to know God as a father and you actually get to know God as a friend. When you come to him, not just saying prayers, but honestly praying to him, pouring your heart out to God. This is what pouring your heart out to God looks like. It's honest, it's personal, it's behind the facade, it's all of that. Here's the third thing we learned about prayer. Number three, third mark. It's persistent. It's persistent. It keeps on going. Look at verse 48. And many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So just picture the scene. 
Bartimaeus has just cried out to Jesus, I need help, Jesus, right now. And the disciples and this crowd that were following Jesus look over at, at Bartimaeus and they say, um, stop saying that. Stop making a commotion. No one wants to hear your, that's Jesus up there. He's an important guy doing important things and you don't make the list, Bartimaeus. And I love Bartimaeus' response. He doesn't care. He just keeps on crying out. Their rebuke did not faze him one second. It reminds me of this scene in the Old Testament, if you remember it back in Genesis, where Jacob is wrestling with this angel. And do you remember what happens? Jacob looks at this angel and says, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. This is what Bartimaeus is doing. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying this, I am not gonna stop, I'm not gonna stop crying out until you come over here and do something about this. It's that sort of persistent praying that we see here. And here is the incredible news. That is the sort of persistent praying that Jesus invites you into. That Jesus is saying, you've got an open invitation to pray like that, that persistently. You've got an open invitation to pray to God your father like a child. Now, if you're a parent in the room and you've got children, I can't speak for your kids, I'll speak for mine. When they want something or feel like they need something, they are relentless, aren't they? It is unbelievable the sort of links that they will go to to wear you down. Unbelievable. I mean, it gets to the point where to keep your sanity, you say yes. You know what I'm talking about? And that's the sort of praying like a child that Jesus is inviting us into. He is saying, why don't you pray that persistently? Why why don't you wear God down until he can't say no? Pray like that. See, this is what Jesus is getting at in... uh, In Luke chapter 18, in Luke chapter 18, the chapter starts out like this. Jesus says, I'm about to teach them a a story about prayer. I'm gonna teach them about what it means to pray without losing heart, what it means to pray with persistence. So he tells the story of a persistent widow. And this persistent widow is seeking justice against her adversary, against this person who has wronged her. So she goes to the judge, but the judge is an unjust judge. He doesn't care about justice and he really doesn't care about people. But this widow is so tenacious, so relentless, she will not stop beating on the door of this judge. And finally, the judge gives her justice, not because he cares about justice, but because he cares about sleep. And then Jesus says this, you can pray to God your father like that knowing that he is not an unjust judge, but that he is a good judge and your father who loves to give you good gifts. You can pray like that, that persistently. Jesus is saying it maybe this way. Feel free to beat God's door down in the way that you pray. To beat the door and to keep on beating the door. Pray like that, that persistently. So let's take a moment to apply this. Are there things in your life that you have just stopped praying for because you've just kind of given up? You've just given up on it. You feel like you've prayed it over and over again. Nothing happens. Doesn't seem like there's any movement. If that's you in the room, can, can you just allow this passage to encourage you? Keep on beating on the door. Keep on beating on it. You know, just think about this, this passage, maybe in this way. If Bartimaeus would have prayed this prayer one time, 
Do you know that he would have likely have lived the rest of his life blind? But because he kept on praying, Jesus eventually responded and he went away seeing. And I guess it just makes me wonder, how much are we not seeing God do because we have just stopped praying for it? And maybe it seems that it's just beyond hope. Maybe it seems that, man, we've just prayed so long that God's just not gonna, maybe we've just kind of grown cynical. And just allow this passage to pull you out of that and for us to see there is an open invitation from God for your benefit and for the benefit of the thing that you're wanting to see done. There is an open invitation from God the Father to absolutely beat his door down in the way that you pray. To pray and to keep on praying and to keep on praying and to keep on praying. Maybe it's for the neighbor that, that it just seems so far gone. Maybe it's for the, the rebellious son or daughter that, that is just totally wrecking their life. Maybe it's for the salvation of a son or daughter. But this is an invitation from God to keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Pray and pray and pray and pray. Beat the door down of God in the way that you pray. It's an invitation for that, that sort of persistent prayer. And fourthly, pouring your heart out to God looks like this. It's particular. It's particular. Look at verse 49. And Jesus, verse 49, stopped and said, call him. So the disciples just said, no, you be quiet. He, he, you know, he calls out all the more. And Jesus responds like this, call him over. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, look at this in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now just imagine for a moment the God of the universe looking at you and saying that. Hey, what what is it that you want me to do for you? Like right now in your life, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need right now in your life? Just imagine the God of the universe saying that. And if you're a son or daughter of God, listen to this. That is exactly what he is saying this morning. If you're a son or daughter of God, he's looking at you saying, what would you like for me to do for you? That's what's happening all across that, this, mor- you know, this room this morning for sons and daughters. How- God is saying, how can I, as a father to you, help you? What can I do for you? And then watch what happens. Verse 51. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And then watch what happens. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way, Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He asked and Jesus responded and gave it to him. Are you seeing that? See, if you want to summarize the whole teaching of Jesus on prayer in the New Testament, if you want to summarize the whole thing, here is the one word summary of Jesus on prayer. It's the word ask. That's the one word summary. If Jesus, you had to boil it all down into one word, what Jesus in the New Testament teaches on prayer. It's this, just ask me, just ask. Now I can give you a lot of examples of this in the New Testament, five or six of them. But let me give you this one in Matthew 7. This is Matthew 7, 7 through 11. 
Listen to what Jesus says. Ask, this will be on the screen for you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and, and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, and in this passage, is showing us. Here is the one word summary on prayer. Just ask me. Like, what do you need? Ask it. I would love to come in and do it. See, maybe you could think of it this way. Let me give you an imagery for this. If you think about this middle, like, little aisle here as the pathway to faithful praying. Here's the pathway. It is like we're asking big, audacious things from God. This is the pathway. Here are the two ditches we have a tendency to fall into. The ditch over here on this side that we fall into is not asking. We just don't ask God. We just kind of think we can kind of get it done and figure out a way. We just don't ask. So that's ditch number one on this side. But ditch number two on this side is asking selfishly, James 4. So we've got faithful praying. It's asking big things from God, audacious things from God. Ditch number one, not asking. Ditch number two um, is asking selfishly. I think to a T in this room, virtually every one of us fit into ditch one. We have fallen over here into ditch one where we just don't ask God for things. We just can't, we just don't see God as the God who like in this passage is saying, just ask me for what you want. I would love to do it. We just don't see God that way. And in light of that, we just don't ask God. So can we allow this passage to pull us out of that to where we get back on this little faithful pathway right here of asking God for huge, huge things. I, okay, see the picture here. Connect these dots. If you're a son or daughter of God, it means that God is your father. And as your father, God loves you and loves to give good gifts to his children. But he is not just a, a father for you. He is also, according to the Bible, your all-powerful father. And as your all-powerful father, he doesn't just love you and love to give good gifts to you. He actually has the power to give good gifts to you. He can give good gifts to you. And it's when we see that he loves us enough that he wants to, and he's all-powerful enough where he actually can. It's when we start to see that, that we actually start to ask things that require God to do it. That actually require a miracle of grace for it to happen. So to ask yourself, are you praying in such a way where you are putting God to the test? Like, God, can you really do that? Are you, God, could you do that sort of a big thing? Are your prayers marked by asking God for things like that? One of the things that has happened to me over the last year is the connection of those dots. God loves me as a father, so he loves to give good gifts, but he's also my all-powerful father, and he can give those good gifts. And so now I have one of my little prayer cards that at the top of it just says dream list. And it's just the things that when I'm thinking about life, our church, my family, when I'm thinking about those things, I'm just saying, God, that would be like way over the top for you to do that. That would like be physical evidence that you still do miracles if you would do that. Where I'm just praying for those sorts of things in life. 
See, what, what, when you start to connect, God is your father and all-powerful father, that he loves us and he like, loves to give good gifts and he can give good gifts. When we start to think like that, it allows us to dream again. Like to actually have a view of God that says, I am going to ask huge, huge things. So let me just ask you the question. Does that describe you? And the way that you pray, asking those sorts of massive things from God. And then we'll land the plane here. Question number three. Why can we pray? Why can we pray? So let me finish by connecting this to the larger story of Mark. So in this passage, in, in Mark 10, Bartimaeus is not the hero or the point of the passage. Jesus is the hero and the point of the passage. And when you put this passage into the larger context of the gospel of Mark, here is what we know. We know that in Mark chapter 10, he has started his journey to Jerusalem. He is on his way to Jerusalem. And when you just read forward, starting in verse, or chapter 11, here's what you're going to see happen in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be falsely accused and falsely tried. He's going to be sentenced to death on a cross. He's going to be beaten and mocked and spit upon, and he's eventually going to be slaughtered on that cross. And here is the result of that. Jesus dying on the cross now pays for our sin. We talk about all the implications of this all the time here. Jesus' death, his life, death, and resurrection pays the debt of our sin. Now we no longer have the wrath of God coming for us. We have the welcome of God coming for us. It's doing all of that, paying the debt of our sin. It's absorbing all of the wrath of God on our behalf. But listen, Jesus is not just the Savior. It is all that, but he's not just the Savior of your souls. What he accomplished on the cross is bigger than just your sin. He also is saving our prayers. See, it also has something to do about the way that we pray. Jesus' work on the cross does more than pay our sin debt. It restores us into a relationship with God that makes prayer possible. It does that. It allows us now to approach God honestly in all the mess of our life and for us to survive that. For in all of our sin, we can approach God and survive that. Why? Because Jesus has absorbed all the wrath of God and now we just have the welcome of God left. We can now approach God in all honesty, Psalms 109-like, and it be okay. Jesus' death on the cross makes God a father for us who loves to listen to our prayers. It, it secures for us Every time you pray, you can know that because of Jesus' death on the cross, that God actually hears you if you're a son or daughter of his. It secures all of that. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you can know this, that God not only hears your prayers, but he actually cares for you as you pray. I love how um, Sinclair Ferguson put it. He says, you cannot fix your gaze on the cross without knowing that he cares for you beyond words. And you can't. The cross proves that. That he not only is near and hears our prayers, but that he cares for every one of them. See, here's what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, here's what it secures for you and I, if you're a son or daughter of God. It secures for us the question of verse 51. It proves to us that now God, our Father, is looking at each one of, of you, me, this morning, and looking us straight in the eye and saying this, what is it that you would like for me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you need this morning? What sort of redemptive grace do you need in your life right now? What do you need? It secures that for us. And I pray that we would be a church family who ask big things in light of that. Amen? Let's pray together.
Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.